Glad that you are all here. If you are looking for liturgical dance, don't, I'm just kidding. Uh, my name is. Wait a second. Where is that class? It was great. Sounds like a fun, fun time. My name is Gavin Crutcher. I'm the uh, minister at Elk Grove Church Christ, just outside of Sacramento. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist for a school district in our area, and most of my life has been spent working with children with disabilities and also. Uh, ministering to people. I've been in ministry for, it's really weird to say, but 15 years now, which is kind of cool. Um, and so today what I'm hoping to do is everybody here, we kind of talked with some people earlier, everybody here probably is here because you know somebody or has somebody in your life that has a disability, uh, or maybe you work with people and you don't know what to say, or or you have just a, a love for, for people with special needs. I, I don't know where you're all coming from, but I hope today that you're left being encouraged that we educate you on some things that we can do uh, maybe a little bit better in how we speak with people, uh, but also just enlighten uh, everyone on, on what it looks like to work with uh, people with special needs or just parents that are, are in that fear moments of what does life look like kind of a thing. So I wanted to tell you our story a little bit. Um, a lot of the class that I'll speak you today is, is on my daughter. She has Down syndrome, but you can use this with um, people who are have children that have autism or CP or or just there's a lot of things that we have, and I, I think just the way in which we view them, um, if we can just change our perspective to maybe start seeing people how God sees them, uh, might change us a little bit. So I just wanted to share a little bit. So let's just start with this. In, in 2008, in the spring of 2008, Renee and I found out that we were pregnant with our first and we were excited like most people anybody parents here I want you to do something for me just think about the first one you had the later ones we'll think about that. I'm just kidding I was the youngest but just remember what, how you felt for the first one and if you were like me you did certain things right so with your first child you start to plan their lives before they're even like really bigger than a gummy bear you're like this baby's going to be the next whatever right for me Will Clark because I'm a Giants fan. So I was hoping for a son. I was hoping for the next big athlete or cure of cancer. We always shoot high, right? And whatever is less, we'll, we'll be okay with it. But we, we start to plan their lives. You start to think about all the things that we're going to do, all the things that are going to be so great and exciting. And, and then it either kind of plays out or you get hit with some realities. And so I'm just going to kind of share how this goes out for us. In summer 2008, we do this moment of going into the ultrasound to find out the gender exciting days right you can't wait for it you're excited we're talking the whole way we can't wait to just share this moment like we're gonna have is it gonna be a boy is it gonna be a girl we go in laughing we show up our ultrasound tech is really cool and funny he's like oh, what do you guys hope for and you know you start do you want to hear the heartbeat anybody love did anybody listen to heartbeat fun for me because it sounds like house music I was like, <laughs> like, yes, Kid Strong has a real good heartbeat. It's going to be great. And he starts going through, and he's playful, and we're getting excited, and it's our first, and we're just really happy. And all of a sudden, the, the air in the room gets sucked out. We don't know why. I'm still kind of on a high, like, this is great. So he gets laser-focused and really quiet, stops talking to us, and I'm like, all right, we got a good one. He's really into his job. And I start to think of things, and... About 20 minutes pass, and he gets up without saying anything and just walks out the room and just leaves us. Doesn't give me a towel to wipe down the gel off of uh, my wife's stomach and just kind of leaves us there. And we're sitting in a room, isolated, wondering, what just happened? Like, what, what's going on? To the point where we didn't know what to do. And as we sit there and wait around, is someone going to get us? Is something going to happen? Did something happen? Um, I get up and go out and, and hunt someone down, which seemed like the emptiest hospital on earth. Um, and for the first time, felt truly alone, like something was wrong. Uh, and the next two appointments we were going to have would be like the kind of the worst moments of life in our short marriage that we've had at this point. And a doctor uh, found in the hallway, and they said, "Well, why don't you go in the lobby, and the doctor's going to call you in." You would think professionals would have good things to say to you. But in reality, nobody really knows what to tell somebody that their life is going to adjust or shift or things are going to be difficult or different. And so what they do, and I hope that we get something from this, a lot of times people speak to others out of innocence and ignorance. 
And out of these two words, we try to share things with people in hopes that they receive it well, but usually it doesn't go as well as planned. And so we met with a doctor and with a uh, geneticist, and the first thing they tell us is, can anybody guess? Probably won't, because it will shock you. They say, good news, we caught this early enough, so if you want to terminate your pregnancy, you can terminate your pregnancy. The very first words you hear from a professional, not, yay, congratulations, you're having a baby, or it's still in there, still alive, whatever, whatever you want to hear. Instead, it was, we caught the mistake, is how I heard it. We caught the issue that was wrong, so if you don't want to live with that issue, you can get rid of the issue. This is kind of the problem with our world today, because we don't think that everything that is worth fighting for is good. And instead, we'd say, if it's going to be difficult and hard and challenging, I would rather get rid of it and start new. This wasn't going to be the case for us, but it was also one of the hardest times for, for our family, especially in our marriage. One of the things that I, I want to challenge you to, if you do this, be ready for answers. Before Renee and I got married, I was kind of sharing about where I was at, what my life was about, and he said, you know, I've worked with kids with special needs for so long, and God kind of affirms things. I said, if anybody was to raise a kid with special needs, it would totally be me. Be careful what you wish for, and God will make that happen. Renee was not of that same mindset when she, she didn't have as much experience, and this shook her world. And the doubts and the questions that come in go, am I the right mom for this? Am I going to be the person that can raise this little girl? What's going to happen and all this? And we had a really challenging stretch of our marriage because our viewpoint of what we were facing was different. And I, I blame myself for something because I don't grieve the same way, and I learned this, that my wife does. Instead of validating how fearful this was going to be, I just said, oh, it's going to be great and fine. Don't worry about it. Nobody wants to hear, hey, it's going to be great and fine. Don't worry about it when you're going through a really big struggle or a challenge you've never faced, or something that might come up that you don't know what to do with. And so through this time, we learned to just kind of navigate and to do things and, and to learn from others. And we, we found a, a support group, and we're like, okay, what are we really getting into? And we always hold some kind of prejudice in our mind or, or a judgment before really seeing it. And, and so if you think about a kid with special needs, you already jump to the most negative, and you get online, and you try to find the worst-case scenarios, and you're like, this is just going to be what we have to deal with, and you freak out until you go and you meet people, and you sit with them, and you see their lives, and you see how beautiful and amazing we all are in our differences, even when it's a disability. From our ultrasound and this comment of we caught it before so you can terminate, I want to share in this little brief section, I'll take a detour, on how I want to encourage you to talk to people. If you in your life come across a person who is going to have a child with a disability and they know ahead of time, here's what you say. Let's practice. Congratulations! Congratulations. Congratulations. That's all you need to say. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy that you're having a child. If they ask for more, you can say things like, you know, it's you have support, we love you, um, encourage them. What I, I hope you don't do is say, I'm so sorry, so sorry that this happened to you. It brings back all of the things, those feelings that your child was a mistake, your child is broken, that you as parents are broken, that you missed something here. This isn't something that's new. Um, there's a story. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they see a man who was born blind from birth, and they ask the question to Jesus. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or, or his parents, that he was born this way? This is something that we go to. Um, I've been blessed to travel around the world. I, I've seen a lot of places of done mission work all over, and uh, one of the things that we found when I was in Honduras, we were working with families that had kids with special needs, and what they were doing is they were keeping them at home, not giving them the support that they needed because when they brought them out, their whole village or town would see that their kid had an issue, and it would immediately be parents' sin, kid was born this way. Uh, we have friends that adopted a, a beautiful little girl from 
to Ukraine who was given up into an orphanage, which a lot of them do, and they're, they're medicated so they don't cry, they're not taken care of because it was something that is shown as you had something wrong with you because your baby came out this way, so they give them away. This young girl is now in Target commercials, <laughs> acts and shows. She had been given a life that says, no, you are valuable, that you are loved, that you have more to offer. And so Jesus answers this question. We're going to sit on this for a little bit, and I'm going to tell you the rest of the story of my daughter. But Jesus answers it so well. And he says, neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. How many of you have spent time with anybody that has special needs? How many of you, after the experience of being with them, that you thought, I'm going to help this person? You left going, wow, I got so much more out of that than I think I gave them at all. The thing that we start to see is God works so much stronger in our, in, in our disabilities, even as typical developing people, than he does through our strengths oftentimes. That when we are weak, he is so strong that we start to see out of innocence this beauty that happens, especially in our special needs kiddos. And, and I'm going to share a little bit about her once I get through the difficult part of our lives. You thought it was finding out, but it wasn't. That was just the beginning. After all of this, we knew that there was going to be some issues because what they found in the ultrasound was that there was fluid on her brain and hardening in her intestines. These are markers for Down syndrome. What we didn't know is after she was born, none of those things were there anymore, and instead she ended up having holes in her heart and had some heart issues, which is also pretty common with kids with Down syndrome. During this time, we didn't know what we were getting into, but when she was born, she spent 16 days in the NICU. And as parents who are struggling with kids with special needs, Maybe many of you don't know this, but we have to leave the hospital without our kids. And when you are there for a week and you're spending all this time and it's great, but then they kick you out and your kid stays and you go and you see everybody else leaving with their own, you think, man, another notch on the list of things that are just not fair and not right and, and that hurt. And we did this for 16 days. And we were, we were trying so desperately to hide certain things that they wanted her to do so that we could just take her home. And we're like, okay, here, drink this milk. She had to drink this much milk and she can go home. We're like squirting it out. <laughs> she did it. She's good. Can we please just take our kid home? Um, but dude, if we only knew that for the first six months of her life, every month we'd be in the hospital for two weeks. Um, she kept aspirating into her lungs, going into heart failure. And then we had to get feeding tubes. And there's just this process that you don't know how you hold up or what you're going to do or how this is going to work out or, or what kind of life she's going to have. And you're just living in the moment. But what we did know and what we did see was the strength and the endurance and the perseverance of our daughter. She didn't complain. She doesn't cry. She didn't go. She cried. She doesn't go <laughs> through some of the complaining things that you think a baby that had been prodded and poked and pricked over and over and over again would do. She was just surviving, and it helped us to realize that there were some things that we knew as parents that we had to hold safely for our daughter, that we would find ourselves advocating for one who couldn't advocate for herself, sometimes speaking for her, even now where she can't speak for herself, and really being the strength for her. But in, the, in those moments where we think we're doing all these things for her, we start to look back and realize how much she's changed our hearts and our lives and our world to be more patient and forgiving and loving and kind. And, and we start to see the world differently. You start to notice people you never noticed before. And you start to see that there's joy in so many places that we didn't know uh, were there. Heart surgery comes, and, and our, our cardiologist recommended that we went to UC Davis Hospital in, in Sacramento. And this is a level two trauma hospital. After her surgery was going to be done, she, she was going to be in the PICU. And in the PICU at this hospital, if a kid gets shot, they get put in the PICU and everything changes and the care goes back and forth and it gets a little dicey. And, um, her heart surgery went really well. The doctor tells you things that they don't, you shouldn't tell any parent. Like, we're going to just crack her chest open when we get in there and fix her. I just like, I just want to hear fix her. <laughs> good. She's six months. I don't need to know the details. Just fix. Good. That's it. Um, and, and it looked like things were going well, and they had a breathing tube in her, and they kept pulling out things from every time she aspirated into her lungs. She had all of this mucus that they needed to get out. And our doctors thought it was smart 
can maybe pull out the breathing tube a little early, earlier than we thought would be good. And as we were sitting there, we were like, okay, maybe she's on the road to going home. Um, I just happened to be looking at her and, and making sure she was good and noticed that she wasn't breathing and that she was blue. Um, and the nurses in the moment go, it's normal. Don't trust everybody. <laughs> I go, I don't know. She's looking pretty blue. And next thing you know, 150 people are in our room and we're pushed out. There's moments in this story that isn't just about how we see God creates us in his image. I'm going to really hit that at the end. But there's moments where I, I feel like I understood God a little bit better. And the moments where my daughter, I didn't know if she was going to live. We're sitting in a room, and I just remember praying over and over again, God, you need to save this girl, or I'm just going to be a broken person. Uh, and you, as a parent, will say, I'll just trade any day. Any day. I remember praying even before she had the heart surgery, before she was even born, God, if you can just let her come out perfectly normal or whatever, I'm, you know, I just don't want her to have to struggle. I would, I would easily trade. Fifteen minutes they did compressions on my daughter. Fifteen minutes. And we thought, what kind of life would she have? Will she be, you know, brain dead? Will she be able? What, what is going to be the process? And you sat there and we think and we mourn and we grieve and we look at this innocent girl that didn't do anything wrong suffering on the table. And I started to think in that moment, uh, my wife was done and I needed her to go home <laughs> with our oldest. Uh, my stepson was at home and he needed some comfort too. And I said, hey, why don't you go home? And I remember sitting in a quiet hospital room with just me and my daughter looking at her. And for the first time, I felt like I get what God feels like when he looks down and sees us or, or when he looked down and saw his son and knew his son was going to suffer. And he so easily could have just traded places, but he <coughs> knew that there was something bigger and greater that needed to take place. And I think oftentimes he even looks at us and says, I wish I could just trade. And he did. But in this moment, I'm sitting there looking at my daughter, and, and I know God kept her here. There's got to be some purpose and reason and hope and, and some great things that are going to come. And we start to see a lot of these things take place in her. I kind of think like in that moment, she got second chance at life, and so did my wife and I. Our marriage got so much better because you don't take things for granted when you know they can go away like that the next day that when you look at your kids and you get frustrated by them and you realize how desperate you are to just have them around when they're here and they're healthy, your perspective changes. And you start to see things in a way that you wouldn't have seen before. And in that, we saw that she had some fight, that she had strength that we would never have had if we were her, and that she was, and the nurse the next day said, when they saw her and she was alert and tracking things, she said, this is not the kid we just did compressions on for 15 minutes. In a moment, we knew that God was with her and that there's purpose, that God doesn't make things by mistake, that there isn't accidents, that there aren't people who are just here because this is why I made this class. Someone told me as we were having a conversation, and I will preface this with this person loves us and our family, but they said, you know, if sin wasn't in the world, your daughter wouldn't have been born the way she was born. Don't ever say that to people. <laughs> this is rule number two. Because what you're saying is God made a mistake when he made your daughter that he allowed your daughter to be covered in sin, which if you ever meet her, which you can say hi to her, she's over here singing to herself, um, which she does a lot, um, that you will know that God put in her a heart that is as pure as, as I know of. In this moment, I realize so much more of what God has for each of us, that each and every one of us and all of you here, and even if you have a disability or you don't, God has purpose in you. And your purpose is so much different than mine or the person next to you, but God's purpose in you is what he has given you and blessed you with that is his image that he made you in. That when he created you, you were this reflection of him that every day that you walk out, our purpose is to reflect him to the people around us that they <coughs> know who the Father is because they know who you are. That's what Christ tells people. He says, if, if, if you know me, you know the Father because he's in me and, and I'm in him. He's also in us. And when you go through your day and your life and you are reflecting this great and perfect image that God has created you in, then people will know who the Father is because they know you. And this isn't limited to those who are typically developing. It's not limited to those who are just 
can fake it really well. <laughs> uh, but it's also open to those who have disability, those who are suffer suffering in mental illness, those who have just depression in their lives. God works in us, in our weaknesses, and he made you to do some great and amazing things for the kingdom. And it's not limited to just those who can speak in front of people or those who have great physical features. <laughs> but everybody, uh, he has plans for. I like to think of this, uh, and I want us to read this, and, and as you read it, just think about yourselves, but also those that you know. And, and I think this is David telling us about how, he's, how God is so great and so good, and he knew us so well. And I think this fits for all of us. He says, God, you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb that I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful and I know that full well. That my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I... To count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We are so wonderfully crafted that just as much as, as I was planning my daughter's life before she was born, that she was going to be this next greatest and awesome thing, God already has planned and knows everything about us. That you were thought of before your parents had the twinkle in their eye of you. That he knew you and had great desires and plans for each and every one of you. And it's not limited. There's a speech that goes out. It was a viral speech by one of our Down Syndrome community uh, women. If you ever watch the show, it's called Born This Way? Born This Way. I don't remember. It's on TLC. You get to see the life of some adult uh, uh, with, with Down Syndrome, and they get together and they do things. And this young woman did this big, long speech about how you can't limit me just because of who I am and, and what I've done. I want to share a video. It's a brief little video, and, I, and I, it makes me cry, so I can't talk while I'm playing, because I like to be macho. Um, but there's this video. Um, a mom reached out to the uh, World Down Syndrome Committee, and she said, I'm going to be a new mom. And I'm, I found out that my son is going to have Down Syndrome, and I'm terrified. What do I need to know? And they created this great video. And I, I want us all to look at it because sometimes we feel that lives are limited because you are limited. And if you've ever seen any person that has a disability, you know that they have drive in them because they can do everything that we do. They just have to do it a little bit differently. And usually they have to work a little bit harder. And all the things that we take for granted, they work so hard to achieve. And so I want you to see this video and we can see the kind of life that is waiting for this child. But also this can be not just for a kid with Down syndrome, but in our case, this is what I know. But I also work with plenty of kids that have autism. I work with some amazing kids that have CP and their families. Uh, I know kids that are really suffering in some emotional issues at the schools that I work at. But yet, all of them have this great passion in them that you can find. And so I want to share this video, and then we'll just finish up here in a little bit. Oh, 
affittare un appartamento e andare a vivere da solo. A volte sarà difficile. Io capisco. Poi è possibile. E spaparei per tutte le mere. Dear future mom. Tuo figlio potrà essere felice. Come lo sono io. E tu sarai heureuse aussi. people is the same outlook that God has our perception and the way we view people changes too if we view each other as this beautiful creation from God then the way in which we perceive life for them changes we are excited to help through some difficulties I get to go one of my friends is here that I, I do this with but I get to go to schools and I, and I talk to kids about how we can treat people better even in our differences that what makes us different makes us so great. And if we were all the same people, life would just be this really boring thing. But even those who might need an extra hand uh, because they don't, they don't speak as well as you do, or, or maybe they don't write as clear, or they don't get the things as fast, or, or maybe on the playground they're not as quick as you are, they don't kick the ball as far. How can we show that they are just as important as you when we're out there together? And then all the kids <coughs> share, and they're really great, and they're really open. Kids usually, if we get them early, are so much better at this than adults. Because as adults, we go, I don't know what to tell you, or I don't know what to say, or I want to say things that I think are good, but they're not. And when you start sharing with people and you're kind of complaining, you're telling about your problems, and you catch yourself and you go, oh, yeah, I have problems. I know they're nothing like your problems. <laughs> don't do that either. Number three, just remember how you are talking to people about people it is how you are valuing them as God's created to. Here's the things that I've learned from my daughter uh, when, when working with her, but also just kids and special needs in general, but my, my daughter specifically, since that's what the class is titled. Um, there are some traits, and we talked about our purpose is to shine uh, the reflection of God's image so that people can know the Father. Uh, I will, I'll share you a few things that are what typical kids do, but how she does it in a way that's just a little bit differently. Most kids love to get together to play games with their parents, um, board games, video games, doesn't matter. And usually the intent is I want to play and I want to win. And if I don't win, what do kids do? They, they get upset, they cry, or they say, you cheated? <laughs> Why? Because I didn't win and you always win and I never win. But this is where I see more godly features in my daughter, even than myself, because I'm a competitive person. She wants to play because she wants to be in the presence of her mom and her dad and her brother. And she gets equally as excited when she loses as she does when she wins. And if her brother wins, she goes, that's right, Grayson, you won, yeah. And she loses, she goes, yes, I lost. <laughs> that's her thing. She is just being her, and there's no agenda. There's no need for a pat on the back. There's no need for... She's just reflecting who God is in her because she's just being who she is. She's one of the best cheerleaders I've ever met. Um, this will be embarrassing for the other one, but it's okay. <coughs> While we were potty training this one over here, she was his biggest cheerleader and would sit in a stool and go, all right, you did it. You pooped. We got it. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and she just loved her brother, wanted to support him and be with him and, and go through the things of life with him. There was an excitement there just to be in the presence and relationship with each other. When she was little, everybody got kisses blown to them. We should probably teach Stranger Danger better. <laughs> that came later. She's a little more there now, so if you come up to her, she might just give you the hand and kiss you a little bit, just because we need that to happen. But when she was little, everybody was loved. The homeless guy that was waiting outside a safe we didn't go in, he got the kisses, the two-handed ones. And she just had a love for people and season them and brings joy. Uh, one of my best friends used this analogy of her. He says, you know what? When I'm around your daughter, I just feel better because when she smiles, I feel like her whole body's smiling. People were drawn to her and they feel better when they leave. We have some kids that were in our youth group. I was a youth minister for eight years uh, in the early parts of, of Kaya's life. And there's some kids in our youth group in the camp that I run 
whose lives changed when they met her and encountered her that they want to do professions that are working with kids with special needs because of her. Um, she had a, a paraeducator who became a nurse or is becoming a nurse and her joy of working with her says, I, I'm going to use all the things I've learned with her as a nurse when I'm working with parents who might be going through this too. There's just a lot of change of heart in people because in a moment, <coughs> whatever preconceived thing they had is, is taken away and they're able to see the beauty of what is within a person who might struggle at, at whatever. We all struggle with something. But there's still some deep beauty and innocence that's there. I think it's very fitting, and this is a total detour because I didn't write this on my note, but it came to my mind, so it must be God, or I'm just crazy, and that's okay too. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that what kicked out Adam and Eve from the garden was eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, I think there's something beautiful about innocence. Um, there's something great that even though, trust me, she's a stinker sometimes, <laughs> and I love it, but I think there's something beautiful about she operates out of an innocence that some of us just, we, we won't have because of the knowledge that we have of certain things that she doesn't. And in that innocence, the way in which she treats the world and, and others is so much different. It's so less jaded. There's not any bitterness there. There's not things that we have that we're, we hold against people because she doesn't have that in her. Um, and it's just a surprising thing when you look back, when all we wanted for her to do is please just be able to eat on your own and walk. <laughs> and now we're like, no, this girl, she's going to do her thing. Um, she's fully included in school and she's doing really well. But she's teaching kids to compassion in her schools. And we have parents that come up to us when we do our talks and say, I'm so glad that you talked to my kids about this because we don't know what to say. And you guys did it so well. And they love her. And we're building this awareness, and I hope you leave with a little bit of awareness too. But a lot of you are here because you already have that, but maybe you didn't know how to share this with others too. It's okay to say that somebody is different, but in that difference, celebrate it. Welcome them and include them in things, especially in church. You may be afraid to do this. We had a young man with Down syndrome at our church who's now almost 17, which blows my mind. And uh, when he was two, he'd walk around with his little suit on. You'll never see this kid in a suit now, but he had a little suit on. And he'd go, good morning, welcome to church. Good morning, welcome to church. When he was 14, he was leading singing um, with this big smile on his face because he likes attention. But he also loves the Lord and he loves to sing. Never on key, never in tune, but everybody loved it. And his heart was gold because he's singing and he's doing what he wants to do. Kaya helps me lead worship sometimes at church and at Bible camp. And you see in people when they see her up there, that we limit people, but her heart is in love with the Lord and loves to sing and loves to give praise. And so there's opportunity that we can do, not just say, hey, look, you're so great. Come in, we want to help you out. But how, how can we get you involved? How can you also learn, too, about the love that the Lord has for you as well? How can we get you active in church as well? How can we include you into things instead of excluding you because we think that you can't handle it? We teach teachers at our church all the time, and they say, what do we do with Kaya? I don't know what to do with her. I don't know if she's getting it. Teach her like every other kid. If she needs a helper, give her help her. If it's too high for her, put her in the younger kid's class. She's okay. She's okay. Let her in. Don't think too hard. Be a part of the process. She'll get it. She could do school. She could do church. These are the things, right? When we limit and when we hold back, we're allowing ourselves to view people differently <coughs> than God made them. Um, I, I want to end on this. I think it's I, I entitled, I kind of alluded to a little bit of it. Call it the, the Kaya effect. Her name is Kaya. I'm a Kaya. What ends up happening with people is, and this isn't just for her, all of our friends that I know of that have a disability or Down syndrome, specifically because that's where our community is, uh, people at school know them. All of them know them. We get stopped all over the place. We were at a... a, a Elk Grove does a giant pumpkin festival. Uh, if you're ever in Elk Grove, around October, 2,000 pound pumpkins, do you want to see it? Uh, we're going around to all these vendors and somebody who we don't know goes, hey, is your daughter's name Kaya? And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and she says, oh yeah, my daughter loves her. And I'm thinking they're in class together. And this is when she was in kindergarten. Her daughter was a sixth grader. And I'm like, huh, very cool. That's kind of weird. <coughs> People are drawn um, to that special quality that some of our kiddos have. And, and I, 
what ends up happening in a lot of them though is since we don't know how to talk with them that special spark gets squashed in schools and churches because now they're different uh, the kids get older they don't know how to be friends and and I just want to encourage you as you guys leave and as you kind of experience the rest of uh, whatever God blesses you with in life that when you come across families in your churches or at home or in schools or whatever it is that you guys do at work there's opportunity to really educate people and just love on people and encourage them especially families and uh, you'll see that this really beautiful gift that God has for each of you that you will you will go home with when you have that special moment with them so for today for me and for what I hope you guys get out of this is is we're all made wonderfully and fearfully that God cares equally about each and every one of us, that his desire is for us to be with him for eternity, and that while we're here, we have opportunity to share his love, his compassion, his grace, and his mercy with other people. And some people need it a little bit more, and desperately parents need encouragement. There's so many who just need a break, a nap, <laughs> a moment. And if you were in a church and you see some of these people in your need, say, I would love to hang out. Please have a relationship with them first. It's a little weird when you come up and say, let me take your kid. Uh, but when you build that, say, hey, I would love to just give you guys a break. Can I, can I take your kid? And we want to go and have some fun. Be that person for someone. Be an encourager. Let them know that you're not afraid. You're not afraid for something that's different. That's all I have for all of you today. We got out a little bit early, but I would love to give question time if you have anything. Or like maybe if you had questions on what you might run into that you've been afraid to like ask people how do you work with people? Talk, my wife is here too. She's an expert, much more uh, eloquent than I am in sharing some of these things too. Anybody have any, any questions or anything that comes up to your mind about working with kids with special needs or how does that look and how does God treat us and love us? Yes, sir. So I'm a children's minister and the, a little bit of our church history has run off some of our uh, some families that had some kids with special needs. There's one family that comes to mind. I've only been there for a year or so now. Is, is there something outside of being encouraging and, and welcoming and that kind of thing? Is there anything that a children's ministry would be more uh, welcoming to your family, your daughter? Like, for, from, a, from my standpoint, what could I do to make sure that the ministry is equipped to, to, handle, it? to handle it? Yeah, I, I have two big recommendations for you. The first one is um, kind of what I do in schools. So I do this big um, presentation in schools about, it's kind of like an anti-bullying thing, but it's also about just inclusion on, on kids that are different. And so I do it with all the kids. And so I do this, pres uh, there's a book called How Full Is Your Bucket? I don't know if you've ever read it. I kind of modified it a little bit and, and every day I talk to kids and I say, hey, you know, all of us come from different homes and we're all different. And, and you know, some of you might have two parents and you might get breakfast. And so every day we carry around this, this empty bucket. And when things like, hey, your mom and dad, you know, live with you and they made you breakfast and you're already coming to school with a little bit more balls in your bucket of like positive good things for you. Some people aren't. But when we all come together, not knowing where we all come from, we have opportunities to fill other people's buckets. We have opportunities to encourage them or help them and, and know and see their needs and, and come alongside of them instead of, you know, bullying or calling names, we can actually encourage and fill up their bucket. Uh, something like that doesn't have to be that specific presentation. There's plenty of other ways to get creative, but just normalizing our kiddos to let everybody else know that they're not so different. And then two, provide an aid. Super easy. If it looks like a kid is having a little bit harder time and they're overwhelmed because sometimes our, our kids are sensory oriented and it's just too loud and they just don't know what to do and they get a little frustrated and one teacher for a bunch of kids is a really hard time and it's overwhelming. Just have an older kid, high schooler or, or like another adult, just be a shadow and help them along the way and get it to them in a way that they can understand it and let the parents know, hey, you know, we see that there might be needs here. Talk to the parent. What are some ways that we can help? How do your kid learn the best? Just validating parents, normalizing the situation and then giving them support. So we do. And it's good. It works out. Yes, ma'am. Mine's a little bit of a complex question that's going to take me explaining a little bit. So Go for it. our daughter has had a chronic illness and she's been a baby toddler. And in my advocating for her at the school site all these years, she's now 16, going to be 17 next month. 
And what I've seen is, as we've taken more off of her plate, she thinks she's doing great, and my husband and I are, are still like, but you, you still have to find the drive within you mm -hmm. to be the best you can be. And so I guess my question is framed from your education background. Is, sure. Is like, how can we communicate our need to want to, to push a little harder without completely stressing her out or sure. frustrate her beyond? Because as she's handle. getting older, she's able to communicate, you guys are stressing me out. Sure. And we're not trying to do that. I've advocated for all of this. Yeah. This extended, you know, time to get your work done, all this, stay home, have a half day, all this. I've advocated for those things. And now I'm trying to figure out the in-between about how to Here's how to help her find her own drive kind of thing. There's like no one answer. Um, but sometimes we what we do in our schools are we don't like to have adults with a kid for too long because then the kid gets too dependent on the adult's help. And so the more and more we might take off or the more we do, then they get this sense of like we can just get by with not doing as much and not getting pushed. So I think with this limiting thing that I'm talking about earlier is the, the you, you can do this now, but the earlier we can say you can do things, you will do things, you might not do it at the same level as your peers, but you are going to do the equal amount of work. Right. Um, they will actually reach, they will reach to the ceiling that you put for them, right? So like when I said for, I just hope you eat and walk. Literally, that was our ceiling. She yeah. got there pretty quick. We're like, okay, now you're gonna read. Now you're gonna do basic math. Now you're gonna, you know, it's just like, we're gonna put all that, you're gonna sit in school all day and you're gonna go to regular class and you're gonna do the things. Now she can't handle regular class. But we, that's where you advocate and you put the things yeah. in. And I guess where, I, where I'm struggling is I feel like have I been too self-limiting now of her abilities and trying to be like, no, no, you can still do a whole lot more and just trying to reset the expectations. It's just hard. Yeah, and I think, you know, like I said, it's trial and error. And sometimes even as parents, we got to take, take an L sometimes and go, that didn't work. Let's try the next one and then not beat ourselves up and just kind of keep moving forward. They get beat down too. So push. Yeah. But so just keep pushing her in, in that direction. But I think your self-awareness is good to not overshoot it. I think that's also true of all kids. That whatever you expect of them is what they're going to give you within yeah. their levels. Mm -hmm. We got new parents now. It used to be helicopter parents. Now it's called snowplow parents. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of hovering around them, they snowplow everything in front of them so yeah. that they have this nice trail that walk down yeah. without any struggles or trials, yeah. and they don't have any resilience. Yep. So sometimes you got to let our kiddos fall down, mm -hmm. scrape the knee, and get back up and yeah. go for it. Yeah, they yeah. cut the grass down so they don't have to do. Any other any other questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. I think it's important to, at some level, treat them like they're regular kids, mm -hmm. so they also they get in trouble. Uh, we have a couple of special needs kids in our church, and the first time we went to dinner, um, I don't know if the boys were fighting, but their mom popped them out of the wheelchair and put them each in their own corner, and I'm kind of like, oh wow, okay. <laughs> but as they've grown, now they're adults, and they're they're really regular people in yeah. wheelchairs yeah. in spite of their uh, disabilities. Right. And part of that was if they got in trouble, they got in trouble just yep. like everybody else. Oh, yeah. So, like, for sure, everything you say is important. I, I paint the picture, but I also told her she's, she can be a stinker, she can be sassy. Yeah. She gets in trouble. She's our daughter just like he's our son. We, I mean, when they get into the things they get into, I am weak, though. She's really cute. She wants a pony. Here, have a pony. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's like we, we want, we, this goes in here, too. Like, they don't get the free pass to throw blocks at Johnny, you know, in Sunday school, right? We, we want to make sure, because then all the other kids are like, why are those, you know, now you're, you're spotlighting them, too. So as much as you want to give them this opportunity to thrive, we don't also want to isolate them and say, this kid is special. We're going to bubble them. We want them to be special, more like, hey, when you're getting upset because she can't communicate as well, you know, let's be a little more patient and then kind of work this out, you know what I mean? So yeah, discipline, all, all the things that we, that's, that's, that's a very good point. We have to treat them normal and good and, and on bad things too. Any other comments? Yes, ma'am. Um, I just want to comment, so my sister is autistic and then like when I went to college, I took this class and people with special needs and disabilities and all these different things. 
and then I realized, oh, like, sometimes I get into this bubble where I think, oh, everybody's like Jessica, like, they all have the same disabilities, the same, or like, the same abilities, or something like that, but you can't look at it like that, you have to look, you know, like, oh, this person is different from this For sure. person. Definitely. This was one of the best things that we ever did before our daughter was born. We hung out with our support group that we have now, and there's kids that were teenagers all the way down to newborns. Every single one of those kids was completely different, um, even on the just the levels of ability, but also personality and everything. They're just it's like us. Everybody in this room, we're all kind of different, which is good. And even in our special needs, we're, we're different too. You know, so lumping all autistic kids as cousin so and so or whatever. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work that way. And autism is just a huge spectrum anyway, so um, it's kind of hard to bubble in. So that's a really great point. And that works out really well with our, our ministries too because some people will have a, a preconceived notion of like, okay, uh, this kid has autism, so now we have to worry about this list that we just created even though you don't know the kid yet. So get to know the families and the kids first and it will really help out in your ministries and, and at home. Any other questions? On? It's after lunch, so I'm trying to... And make sure we're all awake. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Is your movie out on YouTube? You can look it up on YouTube. Just look up uh, World Down Syndrome Day, Dear Future Mom, this little tag right here. Uh, it's just a, there's, there's a lot for other disabilities, too. But like I said, this is my, this is my comfort zone. That's what I know. Um, it's what we live. So, uh, Any other just needs, comments? Uh, I'll, read a, okay. I'll read a lady's blog whose child is on the spectrum and um, what she talks about a lot but when she takes him out in public, I mean when they go to eat or when she's mm-hmm. at the grocery store and when he does some of his stimming and mm-hmm. etc and how much comfort it gives her if a stranger comments that she's doing a good job. Oh for sure. We love so is that a good thing? Yeah oh I, so we love this too like we <laughs> Uh, we put this. Um, we notice. This is going to sound so judgmental. Take it. Take it for what it is. We view people who are drawn to our daughter that they have an experience of something that um, I don't know how to put it. There's just a different level of compassion in them because they notice. She's not as easy to notice as others, right? Like, I mean, behaviorally, she's she's pretty pretty solid. Uh, but when we have people come up and they're drawn to her, not in a like weird condescending way, but in a like, you know, especially for us as parents too, or, or like we're talking about, um, how many of you have ever been on an airplane with a baby? How many of you have ever seen the stewardess that picks up the baby and walks around because mom is stressed out and you look at mom and she's just like, thank God that you are here because I'm going to lose it, right? It's the same goes for, I mean, just someone validating like, man, I, you're doing so good. I used to be an in-home um, behaviorist for uh, autistic kids, and for the hour and a half I was there was the hour and a half I knew the mom was going to be able to take a nap. I don't know how well I was doing at my job. I just knew I have to hold it together with this kid. I'm going to teach him as much as I can, but for this hour and a half, mom needs a break, mm-hmm. just needs to take a nap. This kid would rip things apart, cotton. That was his self-stem. They couldn't have cushions, and their couches had to have different kind of cushions. Um, just everything, he would just rip apart. Uh, he wore a diaper, he ripped the diaper apart, he'd wear, you know, it's just crazy. So she was, every time I'd come in, she was just stressed out. And I was like, go take a nap, I got this. I'm a pro. I was not a pro, but I was not <laughs> going to sell her anything different. Got this, mom. Um, and you can tell the relief in her face, like, she looked forward to us coming. Now, could you imagine if that was somebody that was even a closer friend? or somebody that actually had a real relationship with this person, or, or just like when she's out and about and I'm not getting paid to say this, like, you're doing, you do so much and you're doing so great. We really see the hard work you're doing. That just like, it warms us up. So don't be afraid to do those things. It's a really great point. Uh, any other comments, questions? Disabilities are all different. So like, I'm talking about Down syndrome. We have some friends in here with autistic family members. Um, you know, I have friends with CP, kids don't talk and they're in a wheelchair. And, and the one, I forgot to mention this, the one thing I, I found when I put out there that I was going to do this class was how many people wanted to share with me their stories of their siblings or their friend or, or whatever that had a disability and how much it shaped and changed their life and how they learned things like how to be more compassionate and understanding and patient. Um, we met a guy whose son has cerebral palsy and he's in his 20s and he loves his son so much, but he does everything for his son. I mean, feeds him, 
changes, and this kid's in his 20s, for the last 20-something years, this is all he's done for his son. He's just like, but yet I still find things that he is giving me and teaching me throughout this whole process. He can't speak, can't get out of his wheelchair, and he still finds this beautiful like sense of hope and, and purpose that he's gained in his life from his son, and then he sees what his son does in response to other people. And so, I mean, there's beauty in all uh, of our disabilities, but there is also stress and frustration and fear, like you wouldn't believe, and what do we do next, especially if there isn't like a person in front of you that's kind of paved the way for certain things. One of my friend's kids has this one in a million uh, rare skin disease called uh, epidermolysis bullosa. Um, super, like, it's crazy. They don't produce collagen in between their skin. They use blister internally, externally. There is nothing out there like there's not many people who've had this and the fear of knowing that this is now what you're facing, but even they would say two bone marrow transplants later and living in Minnesota for six months and being separated from your spouse for a half a year and all this that this little girl brings so much hope and joy and, and passion to their lives that it was worth the struggle, right? So in all of this, everything that we talked about earlier, people in our world are so afraid for the things that have to take extra work and it's easier just to throw it away. If you don't believe me, look at marriages. Mm -hmm. And even worse than that, printers, right? <laughs> Why buy printer ink when I can throw away the printer and buy a new one for the same price? This is just our mentality. It's our mentality in our world. But the best things that you'll ever have in your life that you know of are the things that you had to work extra hard for. Mm -hmm. And this is the same as in any parenting you ever you will ever do. It'll be the best thing you've ever done and the hardest thing, regardless of typical developing or special needs. Mm -hmm. It's the hard work pays off the love that you have and that you give and how you help and share with other people produces some great and beautiful things. Any other comments, questions? If you have them, I will let you talk to my wife afterwards. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but let's, uh, you know, if, if you could, I would love to just to pray over everybody in, in a prayer and, and I'll send you out to wherever your next stop is. Dear Father, Lord, we are so grateful that you love us and that you uh, know us and that you would create us and make us in, in your image and in whatever image that is here. And God, I just pray that uh, we see each other that way, regardless of ability or disability, um, whether we are capable or, or need extra help. God, that you just help us to have that heart of compassion for each other, uh, that we can love on those who, who have a little harder road ahead of them, regard, regardless of what that may be in their lives, God. And God, I just pray that we can be a, a room that maybe starts to transform hearts out there and maybe can speak life into people who are terrified of what might be coming their way because of what uh, a disability that they may be facing or even in their own depression or anxiety or whatever mental illness they might be struggling with too. God, I just pray that we can feed truth into them, that you created them, that you made them to be a reflection of you and that you don't make mistakes and that you long for us to be with you for eternity, God. Again, I thank you for this place, and I thank you to uh, Pepperdine for putting on such a great place where we can be fed and to grow closer to you, God. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Have a great rest of your week. Go with God, and thank you for coming.